In this episode, we have Bill Allen, the CEO of Seven Figure Flipping. So if you don't know who Bill Allen is, you probably have seen people all over social media doing the 500K challenge, talking about their lives, talking about the projects they're working on. So yeah, it was actually Bill that created that 500K challenge. Great episode, we get real deep, get real and raw with the infamous Bill Allen. Enjoy. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Hope you guys are all doing well. I have just an absolutely amazing guest today. I am so humbled to actually have him on here. We got the infamous Bill Allen. And for those of you that have maybe never heard the name Bill Allen, you've definitely seen the 500K challenge. The 500K challenge you're seeing everywhere on Facebook and destroying TikTok as a result of it is because of this man here. Bill Allen, thank you so much for taking time of your busy, busy everything to be here today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to, uh, to talk about this stuff. All the stuff we talked about pre-show is exciting for me. So I love to open the kimono, as we call it, in the military. So I'm excited. Okay, awesome. I love it. I've never heard that term. What does that term, open the kimono, mean? What does that mean? So yeah, we, we call it like, you know, I don't know, under the kimono, you basically typically have no clothes on. So, uh, you know, in the military, we say, um, you know, a lot of times it's like, what you see is what you get. Here's everything. Like I'm opening it up. I'm, I'm giving it to you and you can see it all. So it. a lot of times, I, like what we were talking about is right now, social media is so prevalent. There's uh, Instagram, Facebook, and everybody is showing it like the best parts of their lives. And it's, it's just not real. And what it's doing, like the, the younger folks and it, what we're seeing is people are paying, you know, spending four hours to get the perfect picture or, you know, paying, you know, $10,000 to get that photographer to make everything look perfect. And you know, like, even this camera that like, I got this camera set up and these lights and we make these YouTube videos and all this stuff now. Right. And I, I mean, it's just nuts. It, 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 it's a lot of times it's, it's not the way it seems. So, um, especially in the education space, podcasts, things like that, people will bring people on the podcast and they're probably selling something. Right. And you got to be able to see through a lot of that stuff today and just realize that, you know, we all have problems. So opening the kimono is like, you've got it all. Like it's all here. This is me. This is who I am. It's like the emperor wearing no clothes, right? Is, you know, you got to be able to call it out when you see it. So, uh, I am an open book when it comes to that stuff and happy to share my struggles and my wins, uh, Love it. equally. Love it. That's awesome. So, so uh, Bill Allen is actually the CEO of, uh, you know, seven figure flipping. And, uh, there's been, you know, we've seen quite a few posts in the social media realm here in Canada. And, um, so before we get to what is seven figure flipping, I mean, you have the, the flip hacking live shirt on, we're going to talk about that. I envision this, there's a picture of Tony Robbins there in this middle of all these pixels everywhere around him. And I see that, that's the envision I see of you having, setting up your studio and so forth. But what is the 500K challenge? So, you know, I, I've loved, I've raised probably somewhere between 10 and $15 million over the past couple of years. And I feel like as I was growing my business, and I'm not, uh, I haven't been in the real estate business for 20, 30 years. I bought my first rental house in 2006 and I bought a couple rentals. And then about seven or eight years ago, I was just flipping one house a year and flying for the military. And I, I was really good at talking to people and I love money. I've always wanted to turn a dollar into $2 or $3 ever since I was a little kid. And money was never a problem with me having conversations. 
Well, what I realized was a lot of people have trouble raising money. They could probably find a deal or negotiate the deal. And then they would, they would work so hard with the seller, but they would give everything up for their lender and let the lender come in and make a ton of money. So what I found was I was really good at raising money. And I think part of my success going from like one deal a year to 70 to 150, we do almost 200 now a year was because I had the ability to buy stuff and, and raise money and not be afraid of that. So I've always had this, like, I've always had this, I've always wanted to do something with money raising. Like I've, I bought domains before I said, I'm going to do some training course on it. I'm going to figure that out. And, um, now that I had this platform, the seven figure flipping group, I said, I keep hearing like people are asking me, I'm loaning money. I do high interest loans. And I'm just like, why can't you raise money at five or 6% like I can? Like, how can I figure out how to do that? And I saw people doing all kinds of challenges and, you know, I want to figure out how to create something that people can use and, and implement quickly in their business and see results. So I've wanted to do like a first, first deal in 90 day type challenge or all these different things that we're doing. I just looked at the business and said, what am I really passionate about? And it always came back to money. And I just couldn't figure out how to like build a course or do something around raising money. And then I said, you know what, why don't we just do a money raising challenge? Because anybody can do it. You know, you have somebody, you can even have an entrepreneur who's trying to raise money for their business, not just real estate. And then you've got multifamily investors, single family, Airbnb, developers, uh, land guys, guys that just buying and flipping land. Like everybody needs capital, right? So this, this could go kind of more viral than anything else that we've ever created before. And not so much to make money, but just to get people the results that they're looking for. I mean, we've had people raise over $6 million in 30 days in this thing. It's great. And this guy only raised $130,000 before that. And so to see that kind of success is, is really cool. So I went on this mission to create this challenge, this 30-day challenge to raise. I, and I was like, what's a catchy name? I wanted to be a million. And I was like, I don't know if that's realistic. 250 doesn't sound that interesting. So 30 days to 500K was kind of this tagline that I just created, threw it up on the wall and said, all right, now let me storyboard this and script it out and see like, what do I talk about for 30 days? I ended up spending, I ended up spending like almost two months creating it. It was this idea. And I just said, I'm going to put it out on this date. And I, and then it was supposed to start on July 1st. And I put a beta test, I put a group of beta testers through it on June 15th. So instead of starting on July 1st, I, I even moved it up two weeks to get four people through it, to give me notes and feedback to make it better. And so I always, I don't know, I always increase the timeline. I just like shorten the timeline, put pressure on myself for some reason. And, uh, and if, if anybody's going through it in July, like I was creating it while you were going through it. Like I was finishing it. I was putting the final touches on it. We were building out the PDFs and the missions, uh, like two days before you were going to get it live. So I got a little bit behind, some things happened and, uh, I got it all done. So, um, that was it. That's the long story of this challenge. It's, Basically, like, how do you go out and raise money or build a foundation to eventually be able to raise that much money? It's not necessarily like you have to raise 500,000 in 30 days. The goal is to just to understand what's possible and push yourself kind of out of your comfort zone and, and past your limits. So um, it's incredibly cheap. It's like a night out with your friends and family. It's a hundred bucks. And I just wanted to see like how many people could we help? And um, I, I figured who, who wouldn't pay a hundred dollars to learn how to raise 500,000 or even 100,000 or 50,000. Like, would you pay $100 to learn how to raise $5,000? Like, it's the biggest no-brainer I've ever heard in my life. So uh, hopefully everybody goes through it at some point. Um, I'd love to see it get, you know, we've had hundreds and hundreds of investors go through it even in the first month. It was really cool to see. And like you said, um, I kind of put a little bit of a twist on it that 
other people would share about it, so more people would come into it. So, well, you know what I think so remarkable is I love the idea because what you did is you opened Pandora's box because what this forced people to do that were not comfortable getting in front of the camera or asking people things, you forced them out of their comfort zone. And through growth, you have to be uncomfortable. Uh, and um, so there was people I know that said they were doing it and this became a challenge for them, not so much for the money aspect. I mean, that was the intent, but it would force them to be in, in front of the camera. And a lot of people I saw come out of the woodwork were the ones that simply sat behind the scenes and simply like post. Now they're posting themselves. So, um, and, and at the end of the day, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And what a great way to throw yourself out there. Um, so I commend you for that. Well, you know, one thing that you mentioned is, is a lot of people think they see it, they see this from the outside, right? And they see somebody going and part of the, part of the challenge is going live on Facebook, Instagram, wherever, whatever social media channel, uh, LinkedIn, we have some people that are doing that and, uh, YouTube even. And so what I see is what you see is that like them doing that. Well, behind the scenes, there's 30 days of like training videos that they're doing and missions and like they're learning about IRAs and 401ks and for you guys, RSPs and mm -hmm. trying to, you know, how, how do I figure out how to convert my own money or other people's money into that. And, and then all the strategy behind it and selling and marketing and, and creating like a, um, a brochure about previous deals that you've done, social media posts that become really um, attract me having a conversation with a potential lender. So I was able to record on day 11, I was able to record a conversation with a potential lender for me that we'd only met one time. We met one time before, changed emails, talked on the phone, all this stuff. And I went through my process and you, and at the end I said, Hey, I'm going to ask you something crazy. Uh, I want to let you know I recorded this call. I hope that's okay. And because I didn't want to tell him ahead of time that I was recording it, right? Because he would have changed the way that he, he acted. Mm -hmm. And then I, at the end, I said, hey, if I, I'm raising, I'm doing this challenge. I would love to include this call on it. I think it was pretty much textbook going through the process. Would you be okay with that? And he was like, yeah, absolutely, man. That's awesome. I was like, all right, well, here's another thing I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the challenge for free. And I'm also going to give you some tickets to my event. I'm going to make you a VIP and all this stuff. And just to say thank you. So it was really cool to be able to get that. And, and that was down to the wire. And then also I had some interviews with previous lenders of mine, like people that are currently lending me money. Why did you lend me money? What, like building that relationship. So all of these things behind the scenes that you don't see that hopefully is building the foundation for these folks. We went to the point where at the end, there's a survey and I, I asked people, how much would you pay for this? And people are like $10,000, $5,000, thousands of dollars. It's really cool to see because we really kind of, went all out and we just went, did like a second phase of it where um, I, I think I can talk about it. We, um, were, we were sending out emails in the beginning. They would just get an email with a link. So you had to save all your 30 day emails to go back and look at it. Now what we're doing is we have an entire like uh, uh, forum that you go in and it shows up a new mission every single day. So you can go back to it and watch it without having to look up your emails and stuff like that. So we're, we're taking it to phase two and phase three and it's kind of fun. Like we don't make, uh, like for my time, it's just, I'm not making money on this thing. It's just really cool to see the the results. And like you said, going live on Facebook, I, I went live for the first time, I think probably like the beginning of this year or maybe uh, late last year. It just wasn't my thing. Like I, I was uncomfortable with it and it, it challenged me to do something. And somebody else challenged me to do that in the past, a marketing uh, expert that I, that I work with. And he's like, just go live for 30 days and just do it and see what it's like. And I was what am I going to talk about? What am I going to do? And at the end you find like, whoa, I've grown a lot. And what we don't realize, everyone listening, you don't realize how far you come unless you look back even a week, two weeks. So part of the challenge is like, just look back two weeks at how much different you are now 
and how far you've come in two weeks. Imagine what you could do in a year, five years, 10 years. It's really amazing. So absolutely. You know, and, and you know, and then we were talking before uh, about the, the whole, you know, about the growth mindset and so forth. And at the end of the day, you shouldn't recognize who you were two weeks ago. Because if you're the same person, there really hasn't been any growth in that period of time. And and also confess, when I started first seeing the 500Ks, I'm like, what's this about? Because I'm already doing the lives. Like I was, because again, my personality is very used to getting in front of the camera. And I said, what's this? What's, what's the point of this? But then it, it, it got deeper and I said, wait a second, I'm starting to see people that aren't comfortable in front of the camera. They're doing it. This is awesome. Um, because that's what it comes down to. And, and I want to ask you something um, very important. So, um, you know, thank you again for your service, you know, being, uh, you know, a reservist, being a pilot uh, and, and so forth. You go from that world to this world of real estate investing. What was that pivot like? And I mean, you're still, you're, you're still a reservist. So let's talk about that if you can. Yeah. So when I, when I started like scaling my business, actually growing my business, I did my first flip. I was active duty in Maryland. I went to test pilot school in England. And then I went back to Maryland and I was served as a test pilot there in Patuxent River for a couple of years. And um, when I was there, that's when I, I was buying, I bought a rental house, we fixed it up and rented it out. And then I bought another rental house right after that. Once it was tenanted, I got, did my cash out refinance, got my money back and I went to do it again. And this next house, my realtor came up to me and said, I think you can sell this. You can actually fix it up and sell this house and make a bunch of money. And so I said, all right, let's try that this time. We had never flipped one before, just kind of buy and hold. And uh, I was running out of cash though. I was running out of cash. I put down payments and I wasn't getting all my money back out. And so when that happened, I was working a lot. We were having our first son. We had our first son there in Maryland. And um, I was juggling, like, juggling a lot of stuff. It was, it was hard. So, so I flipped that first one. And then the next year I did another one like that. It took me six months to finish that one. It took me six months to find the next one. It took me six months to finish that one. So it was like one a year for two years. Mm -hmm. And then I said, something's got to change. I want to scale this. And, and so I did. I started ramping up the business, but I was still flying full-time. So I was actually running. I had like, I think two full-time jobs basically, right? And even when I was flipping one house a year, it was a full-time job. I was, I was doing it the wrong way. I was doing it the hard way. Like showing up before work, after work, on the weekends, I would go out there. I was swinging the hammer. I was doing all the work. I was trying to save money. I didn't realize that I was working for $11 and 50 cents an hour when I did all the math of how much I made and how much time I spent there. And so what I, what I found was I worked with that business while I was active duty. So I was able to kind of remove myself from some different positions. And I, I created a multi-million, uh, we did 1.35 million one year in gross profits before expenses, before salaries and, and marketing costs and all that stuff while I was still flying full-time. So I never really had this like huge transition basically. When I, when I left the Navy full-time active duty, I basically like dropped a full-time job. And so it felt really good. Like it was, it was nice to not have to like split my time. And what I found was I, was I was falling more in love with the real estate and the business building than I was with the flying and the students and all the stuff that I was doing. So when that happened, it was a natural progression to just say, hey, I'm gonna focus over here. What I didn't realize when I started uh, you know, working in the real estate business is the, the level of sometimes like integrity and leadership skills and things like that for the, the regular workforce, like outside of the military. You take for granted inside the military, the fact that these, these, are, like, these are Americans, in your case, Canadians who are raising their hand and saying, I want to serve. 
and I feel the need to serve and I am a, I'm a leader, I'm ready to go. And they're constantly, like, you are basically going to battle and potentially lose your life for your friend or the person sitting next to you. And I, I don't feel like that's as prevalent in the, in the typical workforce um, where we are. So a lot of people coming through are just like, I just want to get paid. I want a job. I want stuff given to me a lot of times. And um, it's just a little bit different. There are some of those people in the military for sure, but predominantly you have some just, you just show up and you're like, these are all rock stars. And uh, I, I, I took that for granted when I came into the, um, the real estate world and just, I mean, just the workforce in general. I, I don't want to, it has nothing really to do with real estate. Um, but I also didn't realize the leadership skills that I had that were translating at a massive level over to the real estate world and the public sector because you just take that stuff for granted too. And so it's, it, the transition for me wasn't that difficult. Um, I didn't, I had to like kind of start picking what I was wearing to work. <laughs> which was different for me because I just wear a flight suit every day. Um, I, I could do what I wanted. My time was mine. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have to kind of, um, you know, put in requests for leave, requests for time off, requests for vacation, to go to my mastermind meetings. I could just go. It was so, it was very liberating and freeing to be able to do that stuff. But um, I feel like if anything, I just kind of like dropped a full-time job and had a lot more time to work on my craft and what I want. And when that happened, it was like rocket fuel wow. to jump in. Like I could spend, you know, the 200% that I was spending, I, I didn't like cut my workload in half. I just spent all that time now in the business to kind of continue to grow it. So that's, that's amazing. And what parallels can you bring from your military training into the flip world or the wholesaling world? Yeah, I think the best one that I've brought in is, well, number one, like the honor, courage, and commitment are the core values of the military. And I think that is, was a big thing to bring over is some, some integrity where it might be lacking a little bit in the real estate world from time mm -hmm. to time uh, mm -hmm. from some people. And so I really wanted to bring that. And, but I think the, the structure of the military that we have, we have in my squadron, we have a commanding officer, we have an executive officer, we have department heads, which is like the next level down. And then we have division officers, and then we have some senior enlisted and, and enlisted. And it just kind of goes down in almost like an organi organizational chart in a, in a company. And there's, there's lines of uh, communication that happen inside the military. You cannot just jump from one line to the next. You can't just roll up into the commanding officer's office and say, uh, hey, Skipper, can I talk to you? I've got <laughs> something to say. No, get out. Like, you will actually, you won't just lose your job. You will go to jail. You could be on bread and water. And so like, there's a lot of things that just don't happen. And sure. to bring a, a level like that of kind of some military bearing into a company and a structure. And so I structured my company just like I, I was used to as a squadron, which is, is very simple, uh, similar to our accountability chart. We use uh, tra traction by Gino Wickman. They have EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. We operate off of that system. And the structure that I have in my company is very similar to the military. And it was very easy transition for me to bring that over. And these kind of like core values and, um, and, and ways to, to communicate up and down the chain of command, basically looking at it like a chain of command, even from the beginning, and also not accepting the fact that people are doing that. Because the end arounds happen in the, like the works, uh, workforce all the time. It's crazy. People mm -hmm. are just end running people, going yeah. around certain people. Like there's, there's chatter, like back, like uh, we call it scuttlebutt in the military. It's like people um, uh, gossiping yeah. and stuff, you know, it's like the, um, the rumor mill. 
And just like, we just shut that down really fast. And it's just, it's not, it's not appropriate. It's not approved. And um, I was trying to set up a culture where like people wanted to get into the company, but couldn't because we were full. So I'd always tell my team, like, I want you guys to be here because you want to be here. Not because you have to be here, not because you show up to work, but because we care about each other. We care about you. We care about your success. And I want people knocking on the door, trying to get in, but they can't because we're full. And it's up to us to kind of grow bigger, to be able to let the right people in. And I think we did a pretty good job at that. Uh, I, I struggled a bit in the beginning with uh, culture. I, I built it more like a family mm-hmm. instead of more like a team, like an award-winning, Super Bowl-winning team. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to kind of change that a little bit. Sure, absolutely. No, that's excellent. I appreciate that. Um, one of the cornerstone questions I have, or key questions I have during my podcast is, and I had talked to you about it before, about the name of, of my podcast being the 7-2 Real Estate Investor. And so for me, for example, I was played a bad hand and instead of folding it, I decided to play that bad hand. Uh, would you be comfortable talking about a moment in your life where you were dealt that bad hand and, uh, and, uh, and you are here today? Yeah, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I, I think, I feel like I have a very bad hand, but you, you said it very eloquently. It's like, what do you do with it? That's important. Um, in, let's see, when, when what, 20, uh, early 2016. So early 2016, we got pregnant with my middle son. His name's James. And um, so we have three little boys. We have Will. He's uh, just turned six. We have James. He's three and a half now. And we have Lucas is two and a half. And so our middle son, James, we were in Pensacola. I was active duty. I was running a successful real estate business on the side then. I had about uh, seven or eight, seven or eight employees. And I wasn't doing a ton in the real estate business when we were doing, you know, over a million dollars a year in, in top line. A profit. And I don't mean like, like a realtor that sells a million dollars in houses. We were doing like 15 million in houses and a million five in, um, in gross profit. So um, after we take out cost of goods. So we found out that my middle son, uh, something wrong, something was wrong when my wife was pregnant with him and we didn't know what it was. And we went to the doctor. They thought it was, uh, he, the, one of the, he, they took some, like some, samples some tests that they did with my wife was like blood test or something they said hey something's going on you need to come back in and we came back in and they did this uh um um what do they what do they call it uh um they a scan they like scanned her belly right to see the baby ultrasound ultrasound, thank you yeah two and a half years i haven't had to do this with uh and so um so they did ultrasound and um they found that he uh they said they were worried about a spine and him having like spina bifida or some of these things with the spine. And they said, Hey, his spine's fine, but we have some, there's something wrong with his heart. And we we're like, what, like what happened? And so they said, sit down. They, um, they said, Hey, his heart's not developing like it should right now. And he's probably going to need surgery right after he's born. If not it, like, hopefully he develops properly in the womb that he, he gets big enough and strong enough to, to be delivered. And so we were like freaking out. And so they said, we want to take a, a sample. Um, I, I, amniocentesis, yes, it was called. They take yeah. this long needle, take some, um, some fluid out and, uh, and do a test. So we said, okay. And we went back after that and found out that he has a chromosome anomaly. So his 13th chromosome, he's a um, mosaic ring 13. So if anybody out there is a, um, is a geneticist or understands their chromosomes, uh, he's, so they said, here's the laundry list of things that could be wrong with him. 
Like I'm, I'm talking like a long list. We don't know how he'll develop over his, his life. We don't know if he'll, if he'll ever walk or talk or anything, or if he'll grow the way he should, or if he'll live a full life, like what it's going to be. And, um, he's hypoplastic right heart. So if anybody's listening and yes. knows that he's, uh, he's got half a heart basically. Yes. The left side is our pump. The right yes. side is the return. So the right side, if you're going to ha only have half a heart, the right side is probably the, the, the one that you, that you could live a, a little easier without. The left side is the strong pump that pumps the well, blood the, all the way. And the right side for people is, so my background is I've actually dealt, when I used to back, back many years ago, we used to get babies that were born with hypoplastic left heart. And so the right heart is what's bringing in the deoxygenated blood and the left heart's what's getting the oxygen to your organs. So it's, it's, it's extremely vital and it's the level of surgery and complexity. They actually have to reverse engineer the heart in these Norwood procedures. And you talk about the oxygen levels that we have, we actually have to have these children at levels of oxygen that are not normal to survive, which is very unique. So oh, sorry. Yeah. So we are, we're walking around at like 98, 99% oxygen. So for anybody who's listening, these, there's little things that you go to the doctor and they put those little clamp on your finger and you have no idea what they're doing, right? I never knew until I had, we had James yeah. and they're checking the oxygen saturation. So uh, the, your sats yeah. and the oxygen saturation in your blood. And so James is, is walking around right now at like, we're at like 98%, 99%, 97, somewhere around there. He's walking around around 80 right now. Yeah. And, and so it, 80%. So, and, okay. they're and, they're, and with COVID, they're intubating people at 88% sats. And your son, his normal life is at 80%. Yeah. And the highest I think we've ever seen with him is like 85 to 87. So he's walking around like dizzy probably. He's, but he's just <laughs> he's used to this right now, right? right. And so like when he runs around and he gets really tired really fast, and I, he turns blue, like he just starts crying. I'm like, okay, we got to settle him down, right? So yeah. um, he's never going to be a football player, unfortunately, but he might be a professional golfer one day. So so we find this out. It is devastating, right? And it's, it's like, I, I, I still remember where I was and what we were doing. And I, I even remember when I said, uh, I don't want to get too deep into it because it's really hard for me to talk about, but That's we're right. driving out of the hospital um, at, from that meeting. And I remember exactly where I was sitting in the exact car, having the exact conversation with my wife when I turned to her and I said, I think we should name him James. And, um, you know, uh, he's, he's just incredibly, he's, she was still pregnant. She, we, it was probably about, uh, five months, five months in when we found this out. And so we, uh, we had to figure out what that was going to be. What does it mean? Um, they said we could have the baby in Pensacola, but, um, I started saying like, well, what happens if they said, we probably won't need surgery right after he's born, probably like a month or two after mm -hmm. judging as he was getting bigger. I was like, well, what happens if he does? Well, then we'll get him on the, we'll get the helicopter in. We'll take him where he can have surgery because we don't mm -hmm. have a, pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon here and i was like he's not being delivered here like i'm mm -hmm. not playing that game where i'm 100%. gonna pack a bag just I, look i've been overseas i've been i had i had to go in moments notice I, i'm not interested in this like mm -hmm. how about we just i have the means we have the ability to move somewhere uh to do different things i was still active duty military i had time on my on my sentence right left mm -hmm. that i wasn't i couldn't get out of the military so i had to go i went to my command i said hey that's what we got going on they were really really good about it and we started like interviewing doctors and hospitals and things like that. And we found, we landed on Vanderbilt uh, University Hospital here. Wow. And yeah. um, we, I, we traveled up here and we had, we had some family here. My aunt was here and my grandmother was here. And uh, we had just moved my grandmother here a couple months before. And um, we talked to the, the chief surgeon there. And I, I looked at him and I said, hey doc, if this was one of your kids, 
what would you do? Would you move here if you had the means to move here and the ability to move here? Or would you have the baby in Pensacola and then just bring him up here for surgery? He goes, well, if I can move, I would. He's like, you, you want to be here. And so um, he was born October 21st, 2016. And he was in the NICU for a while, but, but healthy. And mm -hmm. um, we, we were able to take him home. And then uh, thank, uh, the, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, that November, we, uh, we found out that uh, like his sats are too low. So we were hoping to skip the first surgery. There's three stages of surgeries that happen with these kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, this shunt in the beginning, um, we were hoping to skip it, but turned out it wasn't the case. And we went in for surgery on the Monday after Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving's on a Thursday, Monday we went in. So, um, and then we were there until he had open heart surgery and then there was complication and they had to force a, another open heart surgery right there in his bed. They have these, these zones where they can wall it off real fast and, and have surgery. And I wasn't even there for the second one. I was home, we had, a, we had another kid, two years old, that I was taking care of. My wife was at the hospital and I couldn't even be there for the second one. Um, and then we were able to take him home on New Year's Eve, um, or New Year's Day. It was like New Year's Eve or New Year's Day that year. But I was re remodeling our bathroom at the time, so it was too dusty to move in. I was behind schedule, and so um, we stayed with my cousin for about two or three days. It got everything wrapped up, and we moved back into the house. And then about six months after that, he had another open heart surgery, and then that had complications as well. We thought we were going to lose him a couple times. And uh, we, they opened him up again. So he's had four open heart surgeries the first six months he was alive. He's had three um, cardio catheters uh, done as well, which are not um, minor. People mm -hmm. kind of in that world talk about it like it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. Like it's, it's crazy. And uh, so seven major procedures in the first six months, and he's due for another surgery coming up. So I, I tell that long story to say... Um, if you, if you knew me at that time or looked at me at that time, you probably wouldn't know what was going on behind the scenes. And everybody has something going on. But I'll tell you, you have two options when you get hit with something like that. You can say, why me, why me, why me? Like, wh what, what did you do to me, God, or, or whoever you, you answer to? And like, why did you give me this hand, this 7-2, right? Like, this could be looked at as a 7-2. Or it could be looked like a pair of aces, which is how I look at it. And like James made me slow down. He made me take stock in, in what's important in my life. He made me um, like recognize that life is short and we need to play all out all the time mm -hmm. and you never know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, he made me uh, realize how strong we are as human beings. And he has gone through, like I would be dead right now if I went through what he went through. It's unbelievable what they were doing to him and I was watching this happen. It's mm -hmm. crazy. So um, you can kind of like take all of this stuff and use it as power or use it as pain and an excuse and things like that of why you can't do something. So I feel like this is probably the, uh, I, I don't even really look at it as a 7-2. As like there's days now where I'm like, man, life is hard with James. Like it's just hard. He's, he's, not, he does, he's three and a half years old. He walks. He's not verbal. He can do some sign language. He understands every single thing that I say. Mm -hmm. He struggles to, to tell us what he needs and what he wants. Um, he, has, he, he didn't eat for the first two years of his life. He got fed through a tube. He still has a, a G-tube in his stomach where we give him some water. But he's, it took him almost three years to learn how to eat and drink just because he did, never knew how to do that. He never learned it when he was a baby. He was, he was intubated. He was being fed through tubes. He wasn't eating anything, you know? 
And so it's, um, it's interesting. So to say all that is like, I, I don't expect anybody to have like any pity, treat me any different, anything like that. Like we all have something. What, what I realize is everybody's walking around with something. There's some weight, there's something that's going on behind mm -hmm. the scenes that you don't see. And this isn't the stuff that we wear on our chest. It, mm -hmm. You know, it's not things that people talk about. And when you can look at somebody's business that took off and say, oh, they had this or they did this. You they're know, lucky. <laughs> yeah, right. they're lucky or they were in the right place or they got some yeah. rich aunt or uncle or something. And yeah. of course, of course he can raise money. He's got a bunch of rich family. Like, you know, it's, it's just interesting to like, and then what do we do with that thing? Right. You, you said it, I get the seven two. I can play it or I can fold it. Like, what are you going to do with that? And how are you going to use it? I've seen people that have used mental illness or, uh, or divorce or, um, or a bad diagnosis or, uh, you know, all of these different things and just use them as power. And I've also seen people who use them as excuses and, and Absolutely. why I can't get stuff done. And there's, there's a huge difference between the two. And by no means am I saying that, you know, the people that use it as excuses to have like major issues, problems, like they just need to work on themselves. Like we need to master ourselves and the, the message that's going on in our head. And when we can do that, then we can start taking care of others. Like I love that oxygen mask analogy, you know, yeah. flying, flying airplanes and stuff. It's like, put your mask on first before you can take care of other people. And I had to get right with myself. Like I had to have the pity party. I had to mm -hmm. have the, um, the, the why me moment for a little bit. And then I had to make the choice. Like, what am I going to do with it? And, and, and every day I have to make that decision. Like some days I'm just like, ah, I'll sit down at like 1030, get the kids in bed. And, and if, if I have to do it all on my own, right? The three kids, get everything, the businesses, all that stuff that day. And it's just like, oh man, like, I, yeah. but, or I can say, you know what? I won the day today. Like Sunday, Absolutely. I took all three of my boys to the, to the, the zoo. And I'm halfway to the zoo in the minivan. And I'm like, uh-oh, there's one thing that I forgot on my entire checklist. I got, the, I got the kids dressed. I got them fed. I got them all ready to go. I got them in the car. I let the dog out. I took the dog for a little walk and let the kids watch the movie. And I, I had all the snacks and the water and everything. And I was like, I'm not sure. I, I didn't check to make sure that the wagon was in the car. to pull. pull <laughs> I, basically have, I basically have two two-year-old twins. Like James is three and a half, but he's more like two. Yeah. And so I have this wagon that I pull him around the zoo. And my six-year-old walks and I'm like, uh-oh. And I don't have time to go back because they nap. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have time to do this. I'm just going to go. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, the stroller's in there for sure. So nobody took the stroller out. It's in there. We get there, no stroller, no, uh, <laughs> no wagon. I'm like, oh, the one thing. But I have a baby carrier. I put the baby carrier, put James on my back in the baby yeah. carrier. Will, you walk with Lucas, watch out for him. We walked the whole zoo that day for two hours and we had an awesome time. And then we you made do it. Yeah, we made lemonade out of the lemons, right? And uh, we become resourceful. Like we need to be resourceful. So anyway, that's, that's my hope. I don't know. I've got, no, I think I've that's awesome. More. I've I got a dozen this. more of the seven, two stories, right? We've got a dozen more and not, not as severe. And you don't have to go through something that severe, um, to, uh, to, to change. And I'll tell you what, I, I was brought uh, a lot closer to God when this happened. And, um, there, I, it threw me right back into the church in back into the church, put me in the right place at the right, like James did so much for me. He showed mm -hmm. me like, when I went back to the church, there was these foster kids that they were showing videos of. And I like, I could not contain myself. I was an emotional disaster in a three minute video with a child who didn't have parents that loved them. And James is, is we're pregnant with James. One week before James was, uh, my wife was due with James. We had this event, Flip Hacking Live, the first one. 
and I was speaking on stage. I didn't own the company then. Uh, I was just a member. I was a paying member of the mastermind group. I was showing up. I was invited to speak. I said, you know what? I've got to go. I looked at her. I was like, I have to go. I'm being called to go. And she's like, don't, don't go. Like I could go into labor anytime. I'm like, I have to go. There's something calling me to go. Mm -hmm. And I went and that was the start of this journey the start of like owning this company now. And that year we raised $35,000. There was like 120 people in the audience in James's name to the Children's Heart Foundation. So we raised uh -huh. about 17,000. Love it. And then the owner of the company then, Justin, matched it. So even before James was born, they sent in $34,000 in his name. We got this amazing little plaque from them in James's honor before he was born. And then he was born, all the story happened. I mean, he's tied to this event every October. Every, it's in October. James's birthday is in October. Last year, we did this really cool little celebration for him, and uh, this year will be no different. So it's, uh, I don't know. He's moving in my life for sure, and I feel like James was put here for a reason. He's put into my life for a reason to do something to me, for me, that, you know, I'll be there for him his whole life. And if he, if he was born, you know, uh, 10, 15 years ago, he would not be alive. Like the, mm -hmm. the oldest kid that's had these, three stages of surgery, this shunt, the Glenn and the Fontan are like 18 years old now, maybe 19 or 20 now. So that was when James was born. So it's just crazy. I moved in uh, to Nashville. I moved into the community next to a woman who lost her son and her grandson to congenital heart defect, mm -hmm. like her son and her grandson. Do you think that we bought that house for a reason? Like there's all kinds of stuff that's happening here. So, yeah. um, I don't know. There's signs yeah. everywhere. So, that's uh, sure. that's what's happening. You know what? It's so powerful. I, I mean, I just finished reading uh, uh, Man's Search of Meaning by Victor Frankl. And in there, the most powerful thing is, is that it's not the situations that define us. It's how we respond to those moments that define us. And uh, man, I'm just thinking about your son. I got chills down my back. Like, this is just awesome. Like, this, this has just made my, like, this is awesome. I just love this. I got teary-eyed as you're talking because I get it. I get it. You know, I, and um, man... This is powerful stuff. This is powerful stuff. Like for those watching, those listening, you guys were like, what's the 500K challenge? And we're talking about real life freaking shit here. And it can happen to all of us, right? So now let, let's, 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 let's pivot a bit and let's talk about this amazing event that you're happening in October. I mean, yeah. you, you're sharing stuff. You've, like, you talk about pivoting, pivoting from going from an all-out event to now pivoting the way you guys are. Are you, are you cool talking about it? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to talk about it. In fact, I'm like right in the mode of like pure planning uh, tactics, like what we're going to do. So I've got some like fresh announcements that we can talk about or like some cool. ideas, you know, because it's, it's not just me talking. So it, it's, th it's a three-day event. And typically, the, this is the fifth year that we've done it. It's called Clip Hacking Live. The first four years have been in San Diego, California. Mm -hmm. This year was scheduled to be in Orlando. And just like all of our mastermind events, we've planned them in person this year. Uh, we went on a cruise in February, and ever since then, we've had to pivot to virtual events these past two events. So we had one in April and one in July. And we've gotten really good at doing virtual events. However, um, the world does not need another Zoom meeting. The world does not need another, like, webinar, right? Yeah. Uh, so three days of Zoom meetings is not – when people hear that, they're like, oh, another virtual event. Well, you mentioned Tony Robbins' event, and if you just Google that, like, Tony Robbins Virtual UPW, you'll see – 360 degrees of screens around him. They, he had 20, over 25,000 people registered for the event, but over 40,000 people that were there because a lot of people were watching it together and doing it. And so 
it's crazy their setup. Like he's he built out a, a over a million dollars he spent on that studio. We're not going that big, but my event planner did that event for him and is doing these events every single weekend for other people and coaches like me. So we have the pros behind us at this event. And I just attended one on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because I wanted to pay to be an attendee to see what the experience was like, to see what you go through, where you check in, where you like get to get the, get the delivery of the box, the swag box, right? To get all of the stuff to, to see what your experience is going to be like as a guest of mine. And so I would, and I also love doing that because I want to figure out where they screwed up and where I can make sure that I plan ahead so I can be better than that. Mm -hmm. Like I, I am the ultimate person who will come into your business, look and see what you're doing and then figure out how to take some of it and go make it better and try to be better than everybody else. My business is, I'm not original. It's a Frankenstein model of a bunch of other people who know what they're doing. I just take pieces and pieces, make it my own. And that's this event too. I was watching it. I have four pages of notes here of things that could be a little bit better, maybe some tech glitches. The host wasn't necessarily completely prepared for this transition. Um, what, what do you do if somebody's internet um, that's, that's not on stage but is virtual starts to go a little wonky? Like, do I have a backup plan? Am I always ready to transition to something else? Make an announcement, mm -hmm. just make a point. So uh, how they're using their flip charts and uh, all, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so this event is going to be a three-day, we call it a virtual experience. Because I want a 360 degree experience for the guests, not some, mm -hmm. not sitting there staring at the screen. Mm -hmm. And it's not like what we have here, like is, we have this little studio here in my office. Uh, this is a standing desk, lights, camera. But yeah. we are going to have like five, six cameras. I can see every single individual face on the TV screen. So we, we're building out a studio in Charlotte, North Carolina right now where we are going to see everything. Like I'll, I'll be on a stage in a studio. The keynote speakers that I pay a bunch of money, I'm flying them in. I'm not like they want to, they wanted me to pay it. Like they have a virtual fee these days and it's like a right. third of what you pay. And I said, no, you need to be there. I want you to be there. I don't want any excuse why the internet connection is not good. Why you're not walking around the stage as powerful as you were last year or other places that I've seen you. I go out and scout these speakers for years. And so there's one that I saw two years ago that we're currently negotiating with to figure out how to bring him in. And um, he's amazing. It's one of the best speakers I've ever heard. And so I travel around, around the U.S., around the world, like three, four times a year to go look for speakers to attend this event. So, and then we have 24 of our speakers, like internal speakers that come speak, some for five minutes, some for 30, some for 45. And it's, it's all tactics uh, for them. So they share tactics and also um, like what they're doing and tell their story a little bit. Like how do they, how do, they do what they're doing um, to give you some, some motivation? And also it's not just hype you up, get you pumped up. It's about what tangible things can we share with you that we're doing. And I think this October is going to be exactly, like, we probably couldn't be positioned and timed any better for the potential of where we're going. So a lot of the theme of what I want to put together is it's so fluid right now that I'm not even sure exactly what the presentations are going to be because I want, I want it to be like, sometimes we change speakers and presentations a week before because, you know, something happened or somebody just did something last month that like started killing it for them and they can come on stage and share that. So, um, and the whole concept of these three days is going to be like, how do you go into this 
recession that's coming, some of the changes that are happening. If we do start seeing a lot more foreclosures and these poor, like there's not a stimulus plan here in the US that's gonna go past these six months. Mm -hmm. And like Congress right now is still like <laughs> like this. I don't know, maybe yeah. they made a decision while we're on this call, I don't know. Yeah, but, probably not, like, but sure. <laughs> like, yeah, things are gonna happen, right? So what are we doing and what are we thinking about in our business that can prepare ourselves for Q4 of 2020, Q1 and Q2 of 2021? And, and what, are, what are the pros thinking about? What are the people that are doing $3 million, $4 million, $5 million that have staff and employees and have doing 200 deals, 300 deals a year? What are they thinking about? Mm -hmm. And then what are the people that are just like ramping up their business? Because you have like the newer investor that's positioned in a very good spot to take advantage of opportunity. You have the, the, the investor who has a thriving business, a lot of people, a lot of overhead that could be positioned very well to grab a bunch of it up. And then you have the person who's scaling. And the person who's scaling is like, they might be like breaking even trying to start making money and they hit this COVID time and they go, whoa, that was painful for me. So everybody's at a little bit different place and we have different people from all those different positions that come on stage. So it's- I can't wait. We put a lot of, we put a lot of time. I, I spent seven months planning this and then after four months, we scrapped the whole thing and start over. And then I've got three months to plan this thing. But yeah. um, what I love is that we went virtual about a month ago. So we made the, the decision so we could take three months to plan for it. So a box is going to show up at your house. So even if you live in Canada, there's going to be a box of cool stuff that I'm going to ship to you that's very thoughtful that I want you to use over these three days and other things uh, that you can, so that's going to come to you. So that's part of what you're going to get. So when you check into a live event, you get a bag full of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't want that to change. You're going to get a bag full of stuff. It's going to come in a box. It's going to come to your house. And I've got some cool surprises in there that, and some games that we're gonna play. And then you've got this check-in process where you actually meet with somebody to check in. Same thing. You're gonna go check in with somebody one-on-one -on -one and we're gonna say, hey, do you have any questions? You know, the day, two days before it opens and registration opens just like it would at the hotel. And then you're gonna come to the event and we have this cool dashboard that has, uh, that has emojis on it that you can throw up and it has like all this information about it and things. So it's not just like jumping onto a Zoom call. It's like, you're going into a studio, into a room, and where you can see what's going, you see the dashboard, you can see how many people are logged in, you can see a scoreboard, we're gonna have play some games, get some points and different things, gamify it a little bit. We're gonna do breakout sessions, so we can actually break people out in networking mm -hmm. and keep the networking side of things the same as what you would see at an event. Mm -hmm. So we can, e we can actually even do more things on a virtual event like this than we could in person. Like I can break you up into small groups, have you work on a project, and then pull you back and share some of that stuff with the team. And so I can also take you on two different tracks potentially. We have a lot of wholesalers and flippers that are in our world. I could actually, one session, I could get, say, hey, the wholesalers are gonna be in this room and the flippers are gonna be in this room. So I can maximize my time potentially. So we're looking at potentially doing that for one of the sessions where they, the flippers wanna hear about this seven day flip that this guy's doing and the wholesalers wanna hear about virtual wholesaling potentially. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so then we could take that session and go, on your dashboard, you'll see these two sessions for that hour and a half. You click here, you click here. You guys decide where you want to go. So that's one thing that we're playing with. I'm not promising that right now, but these are some things that we're thinking about. It's like, how can we maximize the time together um, for this event? So I just attended one. Um, it was better than I expected, uh, even though I had pretty high expectations. And uh, when I woke up on Monday, I really just wanted to jump back in again on the dashboard <laughs> and jump into the room and, and share things. It's really cool uh, to awesome. see. Well, what we'll do is I'll make sure I put the link for the uh, Flip Hacking uh, Live event in the show notes and, and your website as well, because uh, I'm not sure if you're at capacity or, or where you're at, but I mean, for those listening and those watching, 
you would be missing out if you don't participate and there's no excuses yeah and the, the other thing i'll share real quick is is like don't don't show don't don't get a ticket and not show up so like when you go to an event you leave on it's so our event thursday friday and saturday you leave on wednesday you go home on sunday you have five days you got to negotiate five days away from your family you're not sleeping in your own bed you don't get to say goodnight to your kids you don't get to do all that stuff but what i found and what i noticed on these three days is people were trying to like watch this while doing other stuff they weren't focused like you're not you got to treat it like a live event like you're go get an airbnb or put the door hanger on your door and say like mommy or daddy is working today for those three days like plan for that mm -hmm. don't say oh yeah like i can take a call during lunch or i can do all this stuff like network during lunch like meet other people make it a working lunch do, like stay late uh stay on the zoom we don't shut mm -hmm. it down people were in there like chatting in my room for hours after the event was done meet with the sponsors do like uh, mm -hmm. understand what they have to offer all that stuff like take those three days and just realize that you were going to plan for five you were going to pay for a flight you're going to pay for a hotel you're going to have to negotiate time away from your family you're going to pay for food you can do all that stuff like make a plan to like what are you going to eat that day prepare it maybe order a, a, a special dinner or a special snack or some lunch like pre prepare it so you can spend all the time jumping in networking because you don't want to miss a session like you just don't want to miss it trust me Not and first. people I, I noticed people weren't taking it 100 serious and um even even i found myself sometimes going oh maybe i'll just like skip this session but then he would like they would suck me in i'd be like oh i can't miss this i, I don't know what's coming up like there's some amazing speakers that have already sure. spoke i don't want to miss the best one so yeah um don't miss out on that opportunity if you do attend and think think of it like that think of it like a live event that you're shutting things off for three days because it will change your life like i promise you that my goal is for everybody that walks in those doors or, or logs into that computer that they leave better than they came that's it like if i do that it's worth the and the price is a third of what it was before so mm -hmm. all right i'm done selling it but if i could uh, i my mom and dad attended the last event for the first time the first year and um my mom stood up on the microphone on the last day and we do some shares in the morning like what are you what are you taking away from this and she was like i don't know anything about real estate and i really just came here to support my son but i feel like a totally different person now like i felt like i I, I can go out and do the things that I want to do. I'm motivated to get going. I feel like I've been um, just, I haven't been playing all out for the past, you know, couple years. I just feel like I've become a little bit more like, I just laugh. I just, I, I just want to do so much, so many more things leaving here. And I was standing up on the stage, just like tearing up to hear that and to know that I was able to impact my parents. It was like really cool to see that when you sh usually it's just take, take, take from them your whole life. So Absolutely. like anybody that shows up, there's something for you. Like even if it's just on a motivation side, um, what does Zig Ziglar say? Uh, motivation uh, is like bathing. It, it doesn't last. That's why we recommend it daily. Something like <laughs> that's that. Right, so, yeah, something uh, that's a good one. That's so a good one. Uh, just yeah, show up for three days and then get your motivation every single day after that when we need it. So Absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Um, as we come to a close on on such a, I mean, I can't wait to talk to you again, and I can't wait to meet you in person. I can't wait to be there in October virtually. Um, as we come to a close, the, the closing question I have on the podcast is the tombstone question. And the tombstone question is the question that was asked to me many years ago, which is, the day we meet the maker, we can't decide what's going to be written on our tombstone. Someone else will. What would be what written on your tombstone? 
Hmm. This is a tough one. I don't think I've ever been asked this before or ever thought about it. I'll tell you right now, like I am, I am very, very afraid of dying for some reason right now in my life. Like I have three little kids that depend on me, my spouse, mm -hmm. like there's a lot going on. And, um, I honestly, like for me, I, I feel, I, I told the story at the opening at Flip Hacking Live last year. I talked about my dad. We were in San Diego. We have so many things in common. We went to the same college. He was in the Navy. I was in the Navy. I love San Diego. I was born in San Diego, all, all these things. Like, and he, he, he built a, a business uh, in engineering when I was, when I was a kid. And my biggest thing is I want to be there for my kids. Like I want to be the role model for them. Cause when I look at my dad, I see I see hard work. I see, uh, I see, I see my core values. I see extreme ownership. I see stewardship, hardworking, integrity, and personal and professional development through and through. And I talked about my core values and I talked about what he does. And I said, I found my why recently when I prepared for that speech last year. And my why I thought was my family, like everybody says, right? But my why really is, I want my kids to look at me that time. Like, like I said to my dad there, I was in tears again. Like, I don't know, I, I become this tearful uh, guy up on the stage, it seems. But um, I, 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 at the end of that, I said, I told my dad that like, you're my hero, right? And so I, that's what I want. I, I, I don't know how you write it on the tombstone, but I, I just want my kids to stand there and know that like I was their role, role model and who they are, like I played a part in who they are. So um, I have no idea what it would say. It'd probably be, say something like loving husband and loving father of three amazing boys, but I want to see them grow up and be, um, be like incredible citizens and, and do great things and like best me and then look back and say like, we did that because of your, your upbringing. So, oh man, I'm like crying here. So, no, oh, that's, right, that's got it. <laughs> I, I told you this is real and raw. So I appreciate you being so vulnerable with us because you know what? Vulnerability, <laughs> vulnerability is our superpower. It could be our ultimate demise or it could be our ultimate superpower. And that, and I, and I, yeah. and I, I'm, I'm just, I say it to everybody. And, um, so Bill, you know, how can people, sorry, go ahead. James, I think James, I think James, James brought out the emotion in me. Like before that, like I cry like a baby now, like it, it might just be, I, I li I'll listen to a song and it'll take me to a place where mm -hmm. I was emotional and I'm just like, I'm out. It's, mm -hmm. it's crazy. Like I was just like, tough military guy before and after james it's like I, I and he never cries and i tell people all the time like he he doesn't cry he's always smiling laughing because everybody has cried enough for him mm -hmm. and i feel like we have cried rivers and rivers for that little boy and i don't know ever since that i've become a huge softy so uh, it is what it is uh, my mentor andy mcfarland cries way more than me and i'm going to stick to that so <laughs> Uh, I see him cry every time. Every time I'm crying, I look over and he's crying like a, worse than me. So it makes me feel good. So, all right, I'm sorry. I cut you off. No, no. I was just going to say, man, I, I, I do love this. I'm deeply touched. I'm deeply humbled that you, you got so vulnerable with us and you, and you shared this because I think it's so important. And, and this is the whole premise behind this podcast and his YouTube video is like, this is real life shit. And anybody that tells you otherwise, they're freaking lying to you. This is the stuff. This is, you know, annoying or why. Knowing why we're doing the things that we're doing, this is the stuff. And um, yeah, and you know, I, I just was going to ask you, you know, what I I want people to get a hold of you. I know you have an amazing Facebook group in that kind of stuff. What's the best way for people to find you? Um, well, we got a couple places. I, I, the podcast, the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. I do. I, I just launched a Flip Hacking Live podcast, and we have a we have a YouTube channel and. Um, 
and our website, sevenfigureflipping.com. We're all over Facebook. I'm like, um, I am not very good on Instagram. We have a seven figure flipping Instagram uh, page. I don't really understand it. I'm trying to figure out how you get people to come watch you or listen to you on Instagram. I still don't get it. So I think I'm too old. I'm probably too old for Instagram, but I, I, I do have an Instagram page. Huh? The trick for Instagram, I think, is you got to purse your lips somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the stuff that I was talking about at the beginning. Yeah. I'm paying five or $10,000 to yeah. look like you just rolled out of bed <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know, you're know you all done up and, and things like that. But um, I do have an Instagram page. It's Bill, Bill Allen REI is like my handle on Instagram, Facebook, all those places. So you're, you're more than welcome to come uh, follow my journey from no friends to a couple friends on Instagram if you want. So I'm trying um, to, I mean, we, I mostly post stuff about my family, some sure. uh, stuff about just being an entrepreneur. Like I, yeah. it's really, it, it's, you know, you, you said like, this is the real stuff, right? This is the real stuff. And when, when you can find somebody who's, who's real and raw and, and vulnerable and also successful and things like that. And I was, I tell everybody all the time, it's like, I, I'm looking for a mentor. I'm looking for somebody to follow. And I tell them like, just be careful, like be careful who you follow, like follow the person who resonates with you. Like there's, there's a community for you. And it, I, I push people away from our community a lot. Like we're just not right for a lot of people. Like mm -hmm. it's just, it's just, it's okay. Like I, we're not the right fit and I, I'm okay with that. I don't want the wrong people inside of my world. And, and it's okay. Like you can, you can want those things or be that person. And there is a group for you. There's someone out there for you. There's a, there's a mentor for you and a coach for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think as when, once you start developing these leadership skills and things like that, you got to realize that there's going to be people that like you and they're going to be people that hate you. When mm -hmm. I started speaking from stage, um, somebody told me, one of the coaches that I hired told me, 50% of the people in the audience are automatically going to hate you the second you walk on the stage. Whether they, you, before you even said a word, just by the way you look or the way you act or the way you walked or the video that you showed or the announcement or something that was said, like half the people are not going to like you from the beginning and you got to be okay with that. And then just try to win over the skeptics, man. Just try, like they'll, they'll, they'll self-select themselves. So anyway, I say, I, I, I'm, I could talk for hours about this stuff. I love it. It's amazing. Like Facebook, social media, all that stuff. It's definitely a, a challenge for me, but, um, I try to put out, I love putting out stuff on uh, Facebook and I'm starting to mess around on YouTube a little bit. So good stuff. This has just been absolutely epic. Bill, thank you so much. And I can't Thanks wait to share me. this with everyone. Awesome, awesome, man. And I can't wait to see you more often and we'll see you definitely in, or I'll be seeing you in October on one of those little tiles. Well, I there. can't wait to hear your feedback from that event in October, because I know you have pretty high standards. So um, everybody that is, you know, in business, runs, runs an event, runs podcasts, uh, does YouTube channels and stuff. Like my goal is to just like blow their socks off at this event. So I'm, I'm always like, give me some feedback afterwards. Tell me it was great. Tell me it sucked. Either one, like I, I want to know. So I want to see how we did. <laughs> Can't wait, man. Thanks again, Bill. Thanks for having me. See ya.